0: But hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Anthony. I, along with plenty of other men in this church, got tricked into wearing this shirt today. Uh, Unlike the other men, I was smart enough to kind of cover it up. So uh, it's been a good day for me so far. But man, we are so excited to have you here at Radiant Life Church. I know it's Mother's Day, and so you're coming in probably expecting that there's going to be some gifted, good looking, sweet uh, woman up here talking to you about the joys of motherhood. And instead, you get this gifted, good-looking, sweet man talking to you uh, about the power of choice. And so today we're in part four of a series called The Power of Choice, and here's why. Is we know life is full of choices, right? That we have to choose wisely whether we're going to serve God in our choices or serve Literally anything else. This is really what it comes down to with the choices that we make. And so our theme verse for this series is found in Joshua chapter 24, just the first part there of verse 15. But God's word says this, it says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Uh, What the book of Joshua is making clear is really there's only two choices. There's the choice to follow God in his ways or there's the choice to follow another way. And that could be any other number of things, but it's another way. And so as we've gone through this series, last week we got to hear from our new Connections Pastor, Pastor Emily, as she shared about Next Steps. She did a great job, right? So we've talked about everything from forgiveness to choosing to be set apart. Today, we're going to continue with another one of these choices. Uh, and to get us into that, we're gonna read just one more verse of scripture before we pray. It's First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. And just to give you the background on this verse, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. This is a church that he started. He was not in the city very long because there were some enemies of the gospel that pushed him out quickly. Uh, But he's writing this letter saying, hey, the church is still alive. The church is still strong. And so he has some instructions for them. And one of those, those instructions is this, be thankful in all circumstances For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. That means good, bad, indifferent. Be thankful in all circumstances. When things go your way, be thankful in all circumstances. When things go somebody else's way and it seems like it's coming at your expense, be thankful in all circumstances. When you get the news you wanted and you get the news you didn't want or the news you never saw coming, be thankful in all circumstances circumstances. So today, I think you might know, we're talking about the choice to live a thankful life, the choice to be thankful. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, simply not because God's not already here, but I think there's something important every once in a while, especially when we're talking about a topic that we seem to be really familiar with, to say, God, would you give me ears to hear what you want me to hear today? Would you give me the eyes to see what you want me to see today so that I can walk out of here different? All right? So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for who you are and what you've done, the example that you've set, and we thank you for the choices that you are helping us to make. God, I pray for every single one of us in here, whether we're in person or online, that you would help us to really understand the power of the choices that we make. Help us to see today this choice to be thankful is not just something that's for one season of the year, but this is something that's for every circumstance that comes our way. So Jesus, we love you. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm going to confess something to you today, and I will preface it with this, because you might have come to church like the first time and like, this pastor's going to confess something, and this is about to get weird. This isn't going to get me fired, okay? This is not going to be a surprise to those of you who know me. This definitely will not be a surprise to my wife, who is our online host right now at 9 o'clock, talking to all sorts of people. I... Don't like being told what to do. I hate it, guys. Like, I probably shouldn't use the word hate. If my kids were in here, I wouldn't have said hate because I don't want them to say hate. I hate, hate, like with a capital H-A-T-E, being told what to do. I would ask you if you hate being told what to do, but here's what I know about you. If you hate being told what to do, you wouldn't want to raise your hand because I'm telling you to do it, right? So here's how we'll do it. If you are married to somebody who hates being told what to do, raise your hand. I can't, my wife's okay. The smart men did not raise, the smart men didn't raise their hand, James Gill did, okay? So, man, this is payback for the shirt, isn't it? That's what, he's just gonna be all day on it, right? But I hate being told what to do, and here's what I know. If you're like me and you hate being told what to do, it makes life difficult. It makes marriage difficult, right? Because guess what, you're two people sometimes with two very different opinions. One of you has an opinion, and one of you is right, and the one with the opinion is usually the husband, right? Like, that's just the way it works. It makes parenting really difficult if you don't like being told what to do. Because I don't know if you know this, if you don't have kids, this is gonna seem foreign to you, but kids at a very young age think they know what's best. Kids at a very young age will look at you even though you have Google on your phone and you show it to them and they'll say, I don't think that's right. And I'll go, oh, I'm sorry, in your six years of living life, I didn't realize you were an expert on this topic, right? Makes parenting really difficult. It makes having a job difficult, right? Because guess what? If you're not the boss, you get told what to do. And Pastor Lance would even tell you, as the boss, you still get told what to do. Because guess what? Apparently, Other people have opinions too on what you should and shouldn't do. Sometimes it's a board, sometimes it's shareholders. You have people who love to tell you what to do. I hate being told what to do so much that I'll peel the curtain back a little bit. Uh, A few months ago, I actually had to apologize to Pastor Lance because I gave him a little bit of attitude. I don't know if he noticed it or not, but I was walking through the foyer out there, through the lobby out there, and he started telling me something very nicely. Like, hey, I think it would be cool if we did this. And in my head, I'm going, he's telling me what to do. And I had an attitude. I had to come up to the next end and be like, man, I'm just, I'm sorry. I just, if I'm being honest, I just don't like being told what to do. And sometimes when my guard is down, that attitude comes out. Here's what I want you to know. Uh, Not liking being told what to do, if you are following Jesus, will mess you up. Because in this relationship with him, this is not a relationship amongst equals, Okay. This is where Jesus is Lord, is the biblical term, which means Jesus gets to call the shots. Jesus gets to tell us what to do. He's not giving us a bunch of great suggestions. He's actually giving us commandments and saying, this is what you must do with your life. This is how you must think about things. This is how you should see that situation. Jesus is always giving us commandments, but in his love, he doesn't force us to follow his commandments. See, Jesus loves us so much that he'll give us a commandment, but he'll also give us a choice. This is why you'll see people that'll be like, well, if God's real, then why does this happen? And why does that happen? And why are people like this? It's well, because for God so loved the world, he gave you a choice. There are people who could say they love Jesus, who can choose to do some really terrible things like lie to their husbands about the shirt they should wear on Mother's Day, Right? let's call it what it is, ladies. You've been lying for weeks about this, all right? Now, Jesus gives us a commandment, but in his love, he also gives us a choice. So today, we're going to look at this commandment to be thankful, but we have to understand that it's also a choice, because thankfulness, yes, is a commandment we're given, but it's also a choice we have to make. Thankfulness is a commandment we're given, and a choice we must make. So this takes us back to that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica, this city, he's writing to a people in a place, and there's a reason he's saying that you should be thankful in all circumstances. Because if things were bad for Paul, and they pushed Paul out of the city, guess what? Things just didn't all of a sudden get better as the church was healthy and growing. Things were actually getting worse. There was more, more people being more uh, hateful towards the church, who are just against the church and everything that it stands for. And so he's writing this and saying, "Be thankful in all circumstances." Now we hear that and we go, "That's a great feeling to have." Like I want to feel thankful, right? And it's easy to do when like the Thanksgiving decorations are up. And like in my house, we have all these little things we do to really focus on thankfulness for the month of November. And it's really easy when it's the season for it. But man, it's really difficult when life is rough to be thankful. It's really difficult even in the normal everyday, where things just seem like average to feel thankful. This is why it's important for us to understand something up front, is thankfulness is not a feeling, it's a choice. I don't have to feel thankful to be thankful. I get to make the choice. When Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances, he's saying, this is possible, That it can be a posture of your life that's beyond just, well, I feel great today because everything went my way. He's saying, no, thankfulness is a choice. Now, here's the thing about choosing to be thankful that's a huge choice. It would be very easy to say, well, if you want to feel thankful every day, then what you got to do is just 10 times a day or maybe every hour on the hour, just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God thank you God and that would not be an empty exercise that would not be a waste of time but here's what I know is that sometimes the biggest choices in life actually come with smaller choices that inform the big choice right so like you don't just choose somebody to marry you got to choose their family you got to choose their good attitude and their bad attitude you got to choose and say yes to their habits Right? There are little choices, smaller choices that make up the big choice. And so today, as we talk about choosing to be thankful, what I want to do is really look at three choices we must make that will make that choice to be thankful a little easier, that will help us to really appreciate the gifts that God's given us. And so today, three choices we must make if we're going to live a thankful life. The first choice is this we have to fight familiarity. We have to fight familiarity. So you think about when you are newly dating someone and you are crazy about them. Guess what you can't get enough of? Them, right? Like, I'll be honest, when I started dating my wife, we were 19, we were in college. We were at a Christian college that had a curfew. I broke curfew every single night. I was scheming with my buddies to like let me in the dorm at three o'clock in the morning because three o'clock is when you'd get in like, Real trouble if you were late, late. So I'd try to roll in at like 259, but I didn't swipe my card because I didn't want to get caught. I'd make one of my buddies wake up. I'd throw stuff at their window or I'd knock somewhere. I'd be like, hey, can you come let me in, right? They would have to let me in. I would wake up early before my eight o'clock class to like text my wife. And this was before you had unlimited talk and text. I discovered that when my father-in-law got a bill that was hundreds of dollars of text messages, Right? But when you're newly dating somebody, when you're falling in love, you can't get enough of them. But if you fast forward in the relationship, here's what you see, is that the estimate is 41% of first-time marriages end in divorce. What you also see is that with married couples, guess how much time the average married couple spends in meaningful conversation every week? There was a study done by Family Life that tells us in a given week, seven days, the average couple will spend 27 minutes in meaningful conversation. 27 minutes. How do you go from having 27 minute phone calls multiple times a day to having 27 minutes of meaningful conversation in a given week? It happens when the person you love becomes normal, when they become familiar. And familiarity, while it can wreck a relationship with somebody else, it definitely hurts our relationship with Jesus. Have you ever seen people who, like, when they first become a follower of Jesus, Jesus is the greatest, he's the best, he could beat anybody, beat anything, and then you let him have, like, two mediocre months and it's like, I'm not sure about this anymore. I don't know if I'm with this, I don't know if I'm feeling this anymore anymore right? You let somebody just deal with normal stuff, normal life, and they had this idea that Jesus was going to like just constantly do miracles in their life. He was always going to make things great. It was always going to be like a Disney movie at the end, right? Like it was going to be fantastic, but sometimes God just gets normal. This isn't just our problem though. This is a problem that's been around for thousands of years. In fact, in the book of Numbers, we see God's people, the Israelites, they've been wandering in the desert, but they haven't been alone. God's been with them In fact, he's been so with them that he's been providing them food miraculously every single day. He would send what was called manna from heaven. So literally every day you're in the desert, you've been freed from slavery and God's just going, Hey, you guys need some food? And it's like a little rain cloud of awesome food coming down. Like, could you imagine you leave today? It's like, what sounds good for lunch? Well, God hasn't brought the steak rain yet. So maybe we'll just wait for that. Like every single day, this is what God did. But even with a miracle, it's just a matter of time before it becomes, eh. It's just a matter of time before it becomes normal and familiar and expected. In fact, here's what we see in Numbers chapter, chapter 11, starting in verse 4. It says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Now, time out. The good things of Egypt, this is like saying they began to crave the good things from when they were in slavery, how dumb is that? But this is what people do. This is what we do when things become familiar. The people of Israel also began to complain, oh, for some meat. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Well, guess what? The food was free because you weren't. But we remember the food, the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this, Manna. Let's call it what it is. Here's what they just said. All we ever see uh, is this miracle. All we ever see is like magical food dropping from the sky. All we ever see is we can eat as much as we want of this miracle. And on, on one day, we actually get to collect double because then we don't have to even collect it on the seventh day. God wants us to rest. So he's giving us like the buffet portion on this day. So we all we ever see is this miracle and we're so tired of it. It takes very little time for even the miraculous work of God in your life to become average and to become muddied and become familiar and be something that we no longer appreciate So if we're going to fight familiarity, the question is how, right? Because I don't know about you, it's not always easy to step back and appreciate the gifts we've been given. So there has to be something we can do, something we can participate in that's going to help us remember God is anything but average. So here's how we fight familiarity. We fight familiarity by clapping for the Creator. We fight familiarity by clapping for the creator. So Nikola Tesla, uh, he's a man who was one of the best inventors the world's ever seen. You've heard of him. He's not actually in charge of the car company, though, just so you know, because he's dead and gone. Um, but Tesla had over 100 patents in his lifetime, and he was just brilliant. He's the reason that, like, you can go into a room, flip, on, flip a switch, and the electricity just turns on, right? He's the one that invented this easy access for us. So you owe him one. Every single time you flip a switch, you're like, this guy was pretty great. But he had this habit in his life. And it might sound a little weird at first, and I'm guessing it would have been weird if you were at a dinner party with him. But what Tesla would do is every single time he would see the lightning and he would hear the thunder, he would stand up where he was. And he would give God a round of applause every single time. Because for him, it was this recognition, I could do some great stuff with with electricity, but I can't do that. It was this way of every single time something that we take for granted happens, he would stand up and give thanks to God for what God could do that no man can do. See, it echoes what David writes in Psalm 96. This is in the message uh, paraphrase, but here's what it says. It says, bravo, God, bravo. Everyone join in the great shout. Encore. You ever been to a concert where they're screaming, It's because you just want more of what you've experienced? This is what David's saying. We want more of this. Like, God, you're so good. Bravo. Well done. We're clapping for the creator. So the question I have for you is this, is where do you need to clap for the creator? Where in your life have you been treating God and the gifts of God as normal that you need to stop, take a beat, and start clapping and say, thank you, God? Like, what if you're like, hey, God, thank you for this blowout diaper because you know what? It smells terrible right now, but we prayed for this baby for years. Thank you, God. Or thank you, God, my spouse is super irritating, but this is the spouse I wanted, and they're good to me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this job that I don't feel like waking up for tomorrow because maybe there's things I don't love about it, but it's helping meet my needs. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this medicine that although it's like hurting me a little bit, it's wrecking my body a little bit, it's keeping me alive. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the people you've put in my life. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for how you've taken care of me. I think if we took a step back, we'd realize that God has done more for us than we could ever possibly thank him for. But we need to be people who say, you know what? We're not going to treat God like he's normal, like he's average, like he's familiar. We're going to start clapping for the creator anywhere and everywhere that we can. If we're going to live thankful lives, we've got to fight familiarity. We fight familiarity by clapping for the creator. The second thing we have to do is this. We have to eliminate entitlement. Eliminate entitlement. Eliminate entitlement. Now, I don't know about you, there are some characters in TV and on movies that when I see them, I'm thinking, I know this isn't a violent movie, but I'd be okay with this one dying off, right? Like, just some super annoying characters. Like, I remember even as a kid watching Full House and seeing Kimmy Gibbler and being like, dude, if I'm Danny Tanner, I don't care if she's not my child. That child's getting spanked, okay? (laughs) Like, something's happening here. You get other characters. Like you get, uh, for those of you who watch Friends, you get Janice. Already, if you heard that name and you watch Friends, you're cringing because in your mind you're hearing, (laughs) right? Like you're just like, nope. Once again, not a violent movie, but like if there was just all of a sudden a fight scene and something had to happen, Janice could go. Right, Star Wars fans. How many of you Star Wars fans love Jar Jar Binks? Right? You really do? Oh, right, because Misa thinks that's a bad idea. Right, like Jar Jar Binks, Terrible movie character. I will tell you though, from my childhood, there's one character from a movie that even still, like, maybe it doesn't surprise you. I get angry when this TV, when this movie comes up and I see this character. It's from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Her name's Veruca. You guys remember Veruca? I want a golden goose, right? Well, you can't have one. Who says I can't have one? I want a golden goose. And then the worst thing ever. Like when I was a kid, the worst thing you could do is start having, like, songs and dances in the middle of a movie. I thought, just get rid of all of them, okay? (laughs) Except for the Lion King, because that soundtrack? The best, right? But in this, she starts crying, I want a golden goose, so much so that she dances around, she's running around the place, she's just talking about how much she wants this thing. Eventually, she ends up in a garbage chute. And all of God's people said amen, right? (laughs) But you get... You get the grandpa, which I'm not letting him off the hook either. This dude laid in bed until his grandson got a golden ticket. Like, just saying, maybe he's not the one to cast the first stone, right? But he says, hey, Veruca got what she wanted. She got to go first. It's this picture in a silly way of somebody who sees something and they feel entitled to it. And what happens with entitlement, whether it's in a silly way like in a movie or in our lives where it can be incredibly toxic, is it wrecks things. Because when we feel entitled to something, we feel entitled to someone, we feel entitled to a situation. What we actually are doing is we're taking the entire focus of life and putting it on ourselves. And this, friends, is the opposite of the way of Jesus. This is actually antichrist in its posture and in its attitude and in its heart. When we are living entitled, we are saying, I do not want to be like Jesus. Because Jesus could have been at the highest place and yet set himself at the lowest place for our benefit. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus sees these religious leaders of his day and he, he points it out as an example to those who are following him, those who are listening to him in Matthew 23. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. That's a lot of words to say this. These religious leaders love themselves. They feel entitled to their title, They feel entitled to the best seat. They feel entitled to the honor that people give them. And notice, Jesus is not commending them. He's actually using them as an example to correct his people. Because entitlement is the opposite of the way of Jesus. So Jesus, in another interaction in Luke 14, he actually sees something that he mentions here happening with his followers, and he makes an example of it says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. He said, when you are invited to a wedding, fe- wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's what Jesus is saying, is that you should be intentionally lowering yourself. You should be intentionally saying, I can sit at the kids' table. I can sit over there. I can take that position that nobody else wants. And we hear that, and there's part of us that goes, man, is this like self-deprecating? Is that what Jesus wants for us? And the answer is no, sitting in the lowest place isn't self-deprecating, it's others appreciating. It's others appreciating. It's saying, no, I see something in you that I want to celebrate. I see something in you that I'm willing to go lower so I can elevate you. Because if we're going to eliminate entitlement, here's what we have to do. We have to elevate and celebrate others. We eliminate entitlement by elevating and celebrating others. In other words, when's the last time that you had a chance to be the person up front and you went, you know what, let them have it? When's the last time you were like racing to the door? Like yesterday I went to lunch with my in-laws and there's all these people going to the same spot, the same place you just go, when's the last time you went, they can have that. What about celebrating other people? Man, we love to be celebrated. We love when people talk us up. We love when people pump us up. But when's the last time you sent a thank you note? When's the last time that you got online and you just celebrated somebody and said, hey, this is my friend so-and-so, and here's what they bring to the world? Now, the cynical people in here, you're thinking like, well, that just seems so fake. What I'd say is like, dude, your, your complaints ain't really that great, but you post those. Your attitude ain't that great, but you put it on display. Why not elevate and celebrate other people? Because here's what we see, is that when we start to elevate and celebrate others, our entitlement starts to go down, and our appreciation and our thankfulness for them starts to go up. You do that long enough, you'll be amazed at how your attitude changes. You'll be amazed at how your heart changes because you were not meant to be the star of your own story that's Jesus. We eliminate entitlement by elevating and celebrating others, which takes us to the final thing if we're going to live thankful lives. Not only do we have to fight familiarity by clapping for the creator, not only do we have to eliminate entitlement by elevating and celebrating others, but man, we've got to be people who reflect regularly. Reflect regularly. So a couple weeks ago, I went to a uh, fine arts night at my oldest son's school. He goes to a Christian school, so uh, they had their fifth and sixth grade band was out there. He's not old enough, but he's watching that. They did some songs as a choir. Um, they just did a lot of fun stuff. There's even a play that happened at one point. And in the middle of the night, uh, they had to clear the stage. And so what they did is they are like, we're gonna show you a slideshow with pictures from our entire year. Now, it's a Christian school, which means they're still picking songs that were cool like 20-something years ago, right? So they start this slideshow, and like the first note of the song, I realized I'm in trouble. Because I heard this song that the first time it really meant something to me when I was, was when I was 18 years old. And I was in my parents' basement, it's all by myself on a Saturday night, and I heard this song, and it's as cheesy as the song is. It talked about how great God is, how He holds all the stars, how He's the one who redeems us, He's the one who saves us. And I remember hearing that, and it was the first time where I realized I'm sitting on the edge of the bed in the basement, no carpet on the floors, barefoot, put my hands out in front of me, and I said, I have nothing. And then from there, I sat on the bed and cried and prayed for hours. And that was the night that I gave my life to Jesus. Every time I hear that song, I am fighting back the tears. So much so that I looked at my wife, because she's like looking at me like, what's up with them? And I was like, every time I hear this song, I'm about to lose it, right? And I just had to like hold it together. But that song for me is a gift because that song causes me to stop and reflect and reflect to go, man, here's what God did when I was 18. And then it causes me to go, I'm sitting in a school getting to celebrate my oldest son. I'm with my wife who loves Jesus. I'm holding my baby girl who doesn't yet know Jesus, but one day will. Sitting next to my four-year-old who comes to this preschool here and comes to this church here and gets to hear about Jesus. And in that moment, you can't help but be thankful, right? Right? because you're reflecting on how good God is. We are meant to reflect, but what we know is this, is that sometimes the pace in our life doesn't allow for it. We fight taking time to reflect. And for some of you, let's be honest, it's because you got some trauma in your past, and that's really hard to handle. What I'll tell you is this, don't handle that reflection alone. I Man, see a counselor. Come to Recovery 836. Spend time with people who can really help you sort through those things. For others of us, though, just because we don't want to take the time, we have to be people who reflect regularly. The book of Lamentations, we have Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, and he's writing this book, and it's really wrapped around five songs that are written to talk about the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of this city. And it's a sad book. It's a tough book. There's a lot of hard things in there. And here's one of the things Jeremiah writes. He says, talking about God, he has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. When I reflect on this, when I think back on this, it says the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. See, reflection's so important because what reflection does is it operates as a reset button for our souls. Reflection takes us from where we are and gets us back to where God is. It takes us and it causes us to take a moment to stop and say, here's what this great God can do, that he's faithful, his mercies are new for me every single day, his love never ends. We need to be people who reflect because we need to take a moment to stop and say, God, thank you for what you've done. So if we're gonna be people who live thankful lives, we have to eliminate entitlement. We have to fight familiarity. We have to reflect regularly. Here's one practical tip I wanna give you before I close. says so sometimes it's hard to like, remember everything that God's done and it's hard to be thankful in the moment for what God's doing in your life. My encouragement to you would be this, would be to write down your future reflection right now. Like what's God doing right now that maybe you put a note in your phone or you write something and put it in a drawer. You get a journal and you make sure it's in there. Something you can share with somebody that's gonna help you that when times are difficult, you can go, man, it feels like right now he's rolling me in the dust. But I have reason to hope when I remember this. Here's how God came through. Man, let's be people who reflect regularly to celebrate what God's doing in our lives and what he's done in the lives of others. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us and the sacrifice that you've made. God, I pray that you would help us to live thankful lives, that you'd help us to be people who really do reflect on what you've done and then can project that into the future to say, if God did this then, what could he do in the future? God, help us to be people who fight familiarity, who don't treat you like you're average or normal. Help us to take the focus off of ourselves and eliminate the entitlement that can so easily creep into our lives. Jesus, help us to be more and more like you every single day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.